0: 8 if you're using the hymn books uh, uh, bible provided or uh john chapter 9 john chapter 9 had to hurry and get the page number out there because i knew i was about to forget it so it will also have it up on the screen we are looking at john chapter 9 this morning one of the most exciting signs uh you know they're all exciting but we are on the sixth sign and it's a famous one and justly so. You know, as we've looked through the seven signs of the gospel of John, we've found out that Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John are all gospels. That is, they all tell the story of Jesus's life. Uh, the gospel is the good news of who Jesus is and what he's done. The books are called gospels because they are about that good news. So they are the, the story of how Jesus came and set up his kingdom. Um, the Gospel in the ancient world was a word, uh, of course, just means good news. Um, The gospel of the ancient world in Jesus' day was uh, the good news that Caesar ruled the world. Caesar would send out people called evangelists and have them go to newly conquered territories and tell them the good news that Caesar was king. So when Jesus comes along and his apostles go out to carry out the good news, the good news is not that Caesar is king. See, uh, in Isaiah, he had already prophesied and tell Israel to rejoice because the Lord your God reigns. And so when Jesus comes out with the gospel, when he comes out proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, he means God's rulership is here. God's kingdom is here. So when we think about the gospel, we think about the fact that established that kingdom, that Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And when he came as the harbinger of the new creation, he established his kingdom on the earth and he reigned and he reigns forevermore. Now, in Matthew, Mark and Luke, it tells the story of his ministry, his death, his burial, his resurrection. Uh, If you look at it, it's all very lopsided to the last week of his life. You know, the uh, maybe Mark is the most extreme example. Mark uh, call Mark was been called by some scholars a uh, the story of the Passion Week with a long introduction. That's The the heart of it is Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the synoptic gospels. They each tell the story of Jesus from a similar perspective. Sin means together, optic means seeing. They see together. But John is different. John was written when everybody already knew Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and he comes to give a unique perspective. That means that a lot of the miracles that we consider huge miracles in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, John doesn't tell because you already knew them. John gives, in his entire gospel, essentially seven miracles. And instead of calling them miracles, he calls them signs. And each one of these signs is not just a display of raw power, although God's perfectly capable of that. Each one of these signs is a pointer to who Jesus is. So we saw the first sign, he turned the water into wine. We saw he is a change-making God. We saw the second sign, the healing of the nobleman's son. We saw he is Lord of the Sabbath. The, it is, we, we've gone through, we've seen each one of these signs, you know, okay. uh, last week was the fifth sign, um, well, I'm sorry, right, the, maybe the most important one is that the multiplying of the fish and loaves, we saw that he is the provider, the one that meets our needs. Last week, we saw the fifth sign, we saw Jesus walking on the water. We saw he is the Lord. And then, of course, he is king. And now this week we come to Jesus healing a man blind from birth. So the title of our message this morning is, Was Blind But Now I See. So it's certainly appropriate that we sing Amazing Grace this morning. You know, as we think about that story, the story of John Newton, and I do want to tell that for just a moment, although many of you may be familiar with it. John Newton was a slave trader in the 1800s who was a godless, wild man, uh, Every stereotype you can have about a sailor, he met it to the full. He wrote about how he, uh, he couldn't imagine how many tears he had forced his mother to cry, praying over him and the worthless life he was living. And then, of course, one night in a storm, he, God got his attention, and he prayed out that if God would come and save him then, that he would give his heart to Jesus. But the storm stopped, he survived, and he became a Christian. The problem was, of course, that uh, you know sometimes when we tell these stories of people 's lives, we mash it all together, don't we? You know we take him from the riotous slave trader to the pastor who fought for the end of slavery, and that did not happen overnight. Uh, he actually continued to be a slave trader for several years as God slowly but surely made him less and less comfortable with where he was and as He found more and more that when he was still and God was there and God searched his heart, as he realized he could not keep living the way he was living, slowly but surely, he turned. He left the slave trade and he became one of the biggest voices for abolition. Now, so when he writes this song, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see He was not uh, using extreme terms. He wasn't wasn't underestimating what had happened. He says, how amazing is the grace that saved somebody like I was. He said, somebody that was God's enemy. How incredible. You know, stories of grace really grab our attention. Um, One of my favorites is the story uh, from a book David Jeremiah wrote called Captured by Grace. And uh, in it, he he tells this story, it's a true story, of a woman who was driving a car, and a group of teenagers were ahead of her on the highway, and they thought that a fun prank would be to throw a frozen turkey out of their window. It came through, destroyed her windshield, and crashed into her face. Um, The doctors tried to perform some level of reconstructive surgery, but there was permanent damage or her skull was caved in from this. They were brought forward on charges, and at, the, at their trial, she testified on their behalf and pled for mercy for them. They were convicted, but they received a more lenient sentence because she said that with all of the deliberate things she had done wrong that God had forgiven her for, She could forgive them for a mistake. You say, but they destroyed her life. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, far from God, but now am found. Was blind, but now I see. So this story here of Jesus healing the man born blind is, I I wish, you know, I'd like to go through it and slowly unveil to you what the metaphor is, but we don't have enough time. We're going through an entire chapter today, uh, so we're going to have to go very quickly to get through these 41 verses. But, so I'm going to go ahead and tell you, Jesus healing this man born blind was not a miracle just to show God's power over sight. It was to show how he is the one who gives sight to the spiritually blind how he's the one that sends us out so that we who were blind can now see. And what a powerful, powerful metaphor it is when we realize that we are this man. John chapter nine, verse one. As Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. You know The um, thing is the Gaithers sing a song, uh, what a difference since Jesus passed by. (laughs) Jesus comes by and he sees this man who's been blind his entire life. Now you imagine in the ancient world, if you'd been blind, you know, you say somebody who's able to see and loses their sight, they can do different things to adjust. This man has been blind his entire life. He doesn't know what things look like. Well, in the first century A.D., we're looking at, what, 30 A.D. of this time. In 30 A.D., what jobs can you do when you can't see? I don't imagine you'll be much of a farmer. I wouldn't want you to be my carpenter. I wouldn't want you to be my surgeon. There's no Braille. You can't touch type. You know, There's no uh, Israelis with disability act. So what did he do? He did one thing. He begged. Helpless. Everything he has has come to him from someone else for his entire life. He's completely helpless. And then, of course, because I already told you, I already gave the game away. You, from the moment you were born, were born a slave to sin. There is nothing you have that you have worked and earned for yourself. You say, well, I work hard. I go to work in different things. Everything you have comes from the hand of God. The book of Proverbs says, the rich and the poor have this in common. The Lord is the maker of them all. <laughs> Everything you have comes from the hand of God. And you do not remember what it was like to be good because you have been in bondage to sin. One of the songs we sing says, an alien by birth and an outcast by choice. You were born in bondage to sin, and then with that sin, making you so helpless, you reached your hand out to God, and God in his mercy poured things out to you, and you know what you did with those? You used those to rebel and sin against him. That's my story, and that's your story, blind, helpless. We cannot see what God would have us to see. We sit in darkness, spiritual darkness. It says, Jesus passed by, and he saw a man. And now I know I won't have time to do this for this entire chapter, but I just want to, this first verse is so cool. The man could not see Jesus, but Jesus saw him. You know, we, in our sinful state, if the Holy Spirit did not come and convict you and show you your need of a Savior, you would never see him. But Jesus saw you. Jesus saw you. John says, no man can come unto me except my father draw him. It says says they'll all be taught by God as it is written. God draws us all to himself and then we've got to decide what we do with it. But until he sees you, you're helpless. How different would we live in our Christian lives if we realized all the time I was sitting blind and helpless and Jesus could have passed by And I never would have even known it. But he saw me. How much more would we do? How much more grateful would we be? How less self-centered would we be? So Jesus passed by. He saw a man which was blind from his birth. And of course, it seems that Jesus pointed this man out because his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And they are good... uh, good religious people, and so they turn and they say, well, yes, Jesus, he's been blind from his birth, but I've got a question. Since we know that whenever something bad happens to you, it's because of something you did wrong, and we've been watching our prosperity gospel preachers on TV, and we know that if he did a good thing, he would be well off, who sinned before he was even born? Like, did God see he was going to send down the line and make him blind? Or did his parents sin so badly that they were punished with a blind child? And you say, well, that's absolutely ridiculous. Well, it is. But how many people do you know that think like that? Something bad happens in their life and they say, oh, I must have done something. Or something bad happens in your life and they say, oh, you must have done something. What would you do? Jesus says, neither hath this man sinned nor his parents but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. Now, this doesn't mean they had never committed any sin. You know, of course they'd sinned. But he says, this suffering does not have anything to do with his sin or his parents' sin. He's been blind his entire life for this moment. He has been blind his entire life so I can heal him now. <laughs> now. Let me tell you one thing is if I were you, I would pay close attention to this story. God thought that the spiritual significance of this story was going to be so great, was going to teach you a lesson so important that it was worth a real man being blind for his entire real life so you could learn this lesson. It must be a very important account here. God said, Jesus said, he was blind so I can show my power here. Now, of course, that makes it a little different than our spiritual state. Our spiritual state, our parents sinned and we sinned and it's kept us in darkness. But this miracle was a pointer to something much greater. So Jesus says, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Jesus said, and we're going to find out one of the reasons he said this is because it's the Sabbath now. He says, I need to work the works while it's the right time because the night's coming when no man can work. He says, Right now, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. As long as I am here, it is not night. And you say, Well, does that mean that since Jesus is in heaven, we are in darkness now and no man can work now? Well, that's false. What does it say? The, Jesus said, "I will not leave you orphans." He sent the Holy Spirit. But we have the Holy Spirit right now, and so it is today. But you know, there's coming a time where the Holy Spirit will not permanently dwell with mankind. When the when the Lord calls us up, and He gives the world over to Satan in the tribulation period, the Holy Spirit, the restrainer, will be taken away. Now you may believe that happens at the beginning. You may believe that happens in the middle. That's not the important part. The important part is that there is a time where it will be too late to work, where the night will come, and you will not be here to witness to that person. Now, the night may come for you even sooner. You know, We're not promised tomorrow. Something could happen to you right now. You know, this, this church could cave in. I hope not. It's, I've been up there. It looks solid, but I don't know. church could cave in, we could collapse. We could could all die before we leave here today. And then for us, the night will have fallen and there will be no more work we can do. We will be away from here. Jesus was a man on a mission. He did not waste time. Now I say that, but the other hand, one thing you notice about Jesus is he was never exactly what we would describe as busy. This is a very important distinction to make. We think that the more we do, the more work we accomplish. And we work ourselves into a frenzy. And nothing happens. Nothing's nothing's done. The barrenness of busyness. Like everybody alive in the world today has experienced the barrenness of busyness. You know, have you ever seen somebody uh, who doesn't know how to swim get out in water a little too deep for them? And they start flailing. And if you could give them credit... For the amount of movements that they're making, you say, you deserve to be in at the shore. But there's no credit for that. And so while they flail and they flip and they stir up the water, they sink. How many of us live our lives like that? And we think, well, this isn't working, so let me try more of the same thing. You know, my, my mom's back teaching little kids, and I've told this story before. Uh, but it's, it's one of my favorite illustrations to this point. Uh, you cannot go with my mom to a Mexican restaurant. <laughs> you can't. Because uh, she'll try to order. And if the waitress or whoever doesn't speak English well, she'll say, can I have a taco, please? Or, you know, it's my mom. Can I have a taco, please? No cheese, extra mozzarella cheese. Hold the lettuce, put it on the side. It's, uh, and they say, And so my mom's strategy for speaking Spanish is then to say, could I have a taco, please? No cheese. <laughs> now, I'm going to give you again, you know, Charles Stanley wrote the book 30 Life Principles. And if I ever write a book like that, this is going to be number one. English louder is not Spanish. All right? You're in advanced group, so I'll say it one more time, and then I think you'll have it. English louder is not Spanish. But how often in your life, when you're doing something and is it, it isn't working, do you think, well, let me just do it a little harder. Let me just do it a little more. You know, I can't swim like this, but let me try to do it harder. <laughs> My busyness is barren, and the more things that I try to do, the further I feel from God spiritually. So let me try to do more things. Jesus never operated like that. You know, before the fifth sign, Jesus went off to a mountain. Before the sixth sign, Jesus went off to a mountain to pray by himself. He had so much to do. But he still stopped to take time to be still and pray. But on the other hand, he said, work for the night is coming. The difference in us and Jesus is not the amount we do. It's what we do. I I would say that the problem with our society as a whole is not that we do too much or too little offhand, but that we do the wrong things. What's really important? What's really going to matter at the end of your life? When you stand before God, what's going to matter? God's going to say, I sent you to talk to this person. Say, well, you know, some things came up. God's going to say, well, I, you know, there were some times that you had a chance to talk to them, and you didn't. And, well, you wouldn't believe what they said to me. You wouldn't believe the way they treated me. You know, how ashamed will we be when we stand before God and have to offer our excuses to the one from whose face the heavens fled? There's nowhere to hide. There's no darkness there. There's no shadow In all that light, God says, I gave you some responsibilities. What did you do with them? Yeah, I don't want to have to stand before God and give an account for all the things that I didn't do. He says, work for the night is coming. So Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. As long as I'm in the world, it's time to work. As long as the spirit is here, it's time to work. You say, well, you know, I've already done my time. Or, you know, that's the the funny thing is, of course, if people are uh, younger They say, well, you know, I have got—I deserve to sow my wild oats. I deserve to live for me for a while. I'm going to be happy, and then later I'll settle down. And they get older, and they settle down, and they say, well, you know, I'm just too old to do this stuff. I've done my time already. Let me tell you, when is the time for you to work? The time for you to work is in the day. Are you still in the day? Well, are you still alive? Is Jesus still here? Then you are still in the day. There is still work to be done. Now, that work may change, you know, the work we have an 18-year-old do is different than the work you'd have a 78-year-old do. But that's not the point. The point is that God has work for you or he would have taken you home already. You wouldn't be here unless he had a purpose for you. So Jesus says that, and then when he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. So Jesus reaches down, he spits on the ground, and he makes mud paste, and he rubs it on the blind man's eye. And just as God in the garden took dust to make Adam out of the dust, out of the dust of the ground, Jesus makes this man new eyes. (laughs) Rubs it on his face. But it's a two-stage miracle. He said unto him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent. He went his way, therefore, and washed and came away clean. Watch this, came seeing. I want you to imagine now this blind man, now, he's been blind his entire life. If you were suddenly blind, you know, uh, when I come into the church, uh, because of the way the church was built, you know, there's no light switches where you actually come in. The light switches are all over here. Um, and so when I come into the church and somebody's following me, they say, oh, can you, the copy your man comes, for example. The lights are off, everything's dark, the doors are shut. And I say, sure, you can just come back here, it's right back here. And so, you know, I walk down, I know where the last pew is, I turn, I go in the copier room, and he's still back there stubbing his legs on everything, right? He know. I know where I'm going. This blind man doesn't know where he's going, he's never seen the pool of Siloam. So you imagine him going through the crowd, mud all over his face, saying, I need the pool called Scent, I need to go to the pool called Scent. And the people that don't know him say, well, there's mud in your eyes. There's some water right here. Here, let me rinse your eyes off. He says, no, I need the pool called Scent. And he works his way. And they wonder, what is wrong with this crazy man? Finally, somebody says, here, I'll take you. Brings him to the pool called Scent, Siloam. And he washes his eyes, if he can see. So I can see. And you know, the person says, that's right. There's no more mud in your eyes. That's Wonderful. What's the metaphor here? Well, I told you, John Newton did not go from riotous slave trader to devout Christian overnight. There's a process, and that process is obedience. God comes and miraculously touches you. He gives you a new heart. And then he says, now, follow me. I'm sending you out on a mission. The mission he gave us is to go and tell everyone about him. So I'm sending you out on a mission and you will not see clearly until you follow that mission. Say, I just don't feel like I can learn any more about the Bible. The most important question you can ask is, am I following what I've already learned? If you're not, why would God teach you more? I've talked about this, I was talking to somebody the other day about it, and pointed out that when you're looking for God's will for your life, if you're not willing to do it, God is not willing to show you. Uh, the example I always use, if, I've, if there's a kid, maybe you've got a kid in the store, and you were about to buy them a candy bar, and then they throw a temper tantrum, you're suddenly not going to buy them a candy bar anymore. They say, I want a candy bar, I want it, I want it. I say, no. I was about to get you one, but I'm not going to teach you to act like that. God wants to show you the next step for you in in your life. But if you have not already done what he has already shown you, he is not going to teach you to act like that. In the Bible, the opposite of ignorance is not knowledge. The opposite of ignorance is obedience. You don't know until you go. One of my favorite quotes, Howard Hendricks, said, God did not send Jesus to make us smarter sinners, but to make us more like the Savior. God's purpose in your life is not to fill your head, but to change your heart. And so, this man, in a perfect metaphor of this, he has been touched by Jesus. There is nothing left to be done. But he will not experience all the blessings of that until he goes where he has been sent. You say, I'm far from God, I just can't see. Go to the place he sent you and wash the mud from your eyes. What a marvelous difference that would make. So he washed and came seeing. God has sent you on a mission. He has told you to tell people about him. There are lost people who need to be saved. There are lost people who need to be found. There are blind people that need to learn how to see. And the only way you can do it is by going where Jesus is saying. Verse 8, The neighbors therefore, and they that which before had seen him that was blind, said, "Is not this he that sat and begged? People recognize him and say. Isn't this the beggar that's been here his entire life? Some said, this is he. Others said, he is like him. They said, no, it just looks like him. But he said, I am he. Imagine these people arguing in front of this man. He looks a lot like the guy that used to be the beggar. No, that can't be him. That's just somebody that looks like him. No, it's me. Therefore they said unto him, how were thine eyes opened? He answered and said, A man that is called Jesus, made clay, and anointed my eyes, and go, and said unto me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And I went and washed, and I received sight. And they said unto him, Where is he? He said, I know not. They brought to the Pharisees him that aforetime was born. So they say, Wow, this is a miracle. Let's take him to the Pharisees. Let's show what God's doing. They're gonna be so excited. It was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. And you say, uh uh-oh. Because if we had read chapter 8, you would see they had tried to stone Jesus in chapter 8. They've been looking for an excuse to kill him, and here it comes. The Pharisees are so upset with him for saying things like, I am the light of the world. Before Abraham was, I am. I am the bread of life. I am the living water that now they're just looking for a chance to kill him, and now he has healed someone on the Sabbath. But no one was allowed to work. Verse 14, uh, verse 15, I'm sorry. Then again the Pharisees asked him how he had received his sight. He said unto them, He put clay upon mine eyes, and I washed, and I do see. Yeah. You see, his story gets shorter. He gets kind of irritated with it each time he tells it. So, I already told you. I went? <laughs> He put mud on my eyes. I washed it off. Now I see. Therefore, said some of the Pharisees, this man is not of God because he keepeth not the Sabbath day. Now, of course, Jesus did keep the Sabbath day. There's nothing in the Bible that said you can't make clay and heal a blind man on the Sabbath. But the Jews had added lots of rules. And unfortunately, like religious people are wont to do, their rules became equal with God's rules. And over time, they said, well, if you break our rules, you must be an enemy of God. You know, we can all be guilty of that. So, but other people said, if God wasn't on his side, how could he give sight to the blind? That's something that only the Messiah could do, according to the Old Testament prophecies. Nobody has ever given sight to the blind before. Nobody in the entire Old Testament makes a blind man see, but it said when the Messiah came, he would give sight to the blind. That tells us something. And there was a division among them. So now the Pharisees are fighting back and forth, back and forth. He's a sinner. No, he's obviously operating with the power of God. They said to the blind man again, what sayest thou of him that has opened thine eyes? You you can tell it's gotten into a pretty bad fight because uh, they asked the, the man who was born blind to be the tiebreaker. They said, what do you think? He said, well, I think he's a prophet. And somebody tells you, somebody asks you, what do you think about Jesus? What do you think about all this religious stuff? And if you stand up for what's right, let's see what they do to him. (laughs) But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of him that had received his sight. He says, I believe Jesus is a prophet. They say, well, you go away. We're going to talk to your parents. (laughs) We're not going to take you seriously anymore. And so they, got, they said, he probably was never actually blind at all. So they called his parents. And they asked them, saying, is this your son, who you say was born blind? How then doth he now see? His parents answered them and said, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But by what means he now seeth, we know not. Or who hath opened his eyes, we know not. He is of age. Ask him. He shall speak for himself. Now, these words spake his parents' because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had agreed already that if any man did confess that he was the Christ, he should be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, said his parents, he is of age, ask him. So it had already been publicized, if you're on Jesus' side, you're not on our side, and you'll be excommunicated, you'll be cut out of the community life. And so his parents say, well, we know he was born blind, but we don't know what happened after that, you better ask him. How many people have that kind of lukewarm approach about Jesus? Yeah, I know this person used to be a lot different. I know that something has made a change in their life. But you know, it really could have been anybody. You, just, you better ask them. It's none of my business. But you keep Jesus at arm's length like that. You're setting up for trouble. now, And it's a really foolish thing because God was not pleased by that. But the Pharisees weren't really pleased by that kind of a lukewarm answer either. You lose everybody like that. (laughs) See, we've got a responsibility to stand up for the truth and stand up for what's right, stand up for who God is, who Jesus is. And if you try to sort of straddle the fence, you're not going to please anybody. So they call him back. Then again, they call the man that was blind and said unto him, Give God the praise. We know that this man is a sinner. They said, you tell the truth. So they mean by give God the praise. Do the right thing. We know this man's a sinner. You just go ahead and tell us that he's an imposter and he did some kind of witchcraft. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. John 9, 25. He answered and said, Whether he be a sinner or no, I know not. One thing I know, that whereas I was blind, Now I see. (laughs) He says, I just met this guy. I don't know a lot about him, but I know one thing. I once was blind, and now I see. I'm not saying that the sinlessness of Jesus is not important, and neither is this man, really. He's saying, I'm just getting started in all this, but I know one thing. He made a change in me. You say, I just can't witness because I just don't know all the answers to all the questions that people are going to ask. Let me tell you one thing you can say they say to you oh well do you really believe in this and you really understand how do you explain this you say well i don't know i'll try to find out but let me tell you what i do know i once was blind but now i see you know that don't you say i know that once i was far from god i know once i was a slave to sin i know once i was spiritually dead But now I am God's child. Now I have victory over sin. Now I am alive. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Amazing grace. And so as we ponder this, this man has got the simplest answer. I know what God has done for me. That is what you have been sent to do, is tell people what Jesus has done for you. And you will not have the mud washed from your eyes until you've done it. You want to see what God's will is for your life? Go and tell people about him. So they said to him again, what did he do thee? How opened he thine eyes? What's going on? What did he do? How did he do this? And I really like this verse too. He answered them, I've told you already and you did not hear. Wherefore would you hear it again? Will you also be his disciples? He said, I already told you the answer why do you want me to keep telling, you want me to, you want to join up? You want going to sign up, you want to become a Christian too? So he sort of cuts through it all and says, what are you out to do except to cause trouble? And of course, we have to be aware of that also is that sometimes people try to draw us into fights and draw us into arguments and they're not sincere. Um, I remember once asking somebody, I said, you know, what would it take to actually convince you? Because I've answered every argument you have. And I said, you know, if God came down from heaven and appeared to you and said, here I am, would that win you over? And he said, no. Okay. Then I'm wasting my time, you know? <laughs> there, there's none so blind to see who will not see, although I'm getting ahead of myself. He said, will you also be his disciples? Then they reviled him, you know, this is a risk you take when you tell people about Jesus. When you tell people things they don't want to hear, they start to take it out on you personally. That's wrong, but it's true. They reviled him and said, Thou art his disciple, but we are Moses' disciples. We know that God spoke unto Moses. As for this fellow, we know not from whence he is. Say, so you're, just, you're just dumb. You know, we follow Moses, not this strange upstart. The man answered and said unto him, Why, here it is a marvelous thing that ye know not from whence he is, and yet he hath opened mine eyes. I said, that is strange that you don't know who he is, but he opened my eyes. Somebody says, I don't know anything about Jesus. You know why there's, the people worship thousands of different gods around the world. Why should yours be the right one? You go through all these different things. You say, you know, it's a strange, it is a marvelous thing that you don't recognize him. Because I once was blind, but now I see. And I'm not saying that that's the only argument that we should ever make, the only argument we can ever make. But I am saying it's a powerful one. If your life has been changed by the power of God, are you willing to witness to that, to testify to that, and say, Jesus made a change in me? Now we know that God heareth not sinners. But if any man be a worshipper of God and doeth His will, him He heareth. You know, He says, "We know God doesn't hear sinners." The Bible says that uh, the Lord's ear is not, uh, ears, ear's not deaf, that it cannot hear, nor His arms shortened that it cannot save. But your sins have separated you and your God. And we know that God doesn't listen to the prayers of people that are in rebellion against Him. But the one that does His will He hears. And of course, we know that we ask forgiveness, and He hears us. We ask anything according to His will. What's according to His will? Well. It's to ask in Jesus' name. You we know, confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. But if you're in rebellion against God, God's not going to answer that prayer. Since the world began, was it not heard that any man opened the eyes of one that was born blind? If this man were not of God, he could do nothing. <laughs> so this, this blind man, he says, I don't know much, but here's my theological argument. God would not do this work for this man unless he was God's man. And this man has changed my life. We say the ultimate answer, of course, this is just a shadow of what was to come. My argument for Jesus, my argument for why you should become a Christian, is that God does not bring people who are his enemies back from the dead, but that Jesus died in our place and three days later God raised him up. And he gave me sight gave me life. And of course, that's a historical fact. You, know, you can trace it through. Jesus said, I was discussing this with somebody the other day, uh, the Book of Mormon is based on one person. If Joseph Smith was wrong, Mormonism is wrong. Islam is based on one person. If Muhammad is wrong, uh, Islam is wrong. Buddhism is based on one person. If the Buddha was wrong, Buddhism, Buddhism is wrong. Jesus had 11 disciples who uh, all Ten of them gave up their lives because they said, I saw Jesus alive after he died. So, for Christianity to be wrong right there, you need the ten witnesses, all to have been so wrong they are willing to give their life up. John the Baptist, tortured. He died in exile. You need somebody to be that wrong. The Bible says he appeared, we know all that. The Bible says he appeared to more than 400 of the brethren at one time. How many people witnessed to the truth of Christianity? Hundreds. Jesus rose from the dead. Why would God raise from the dead his enemy? That's his answer. That's the man's answer, basically. Why would God do this? Why would God allow a blind a, a sinner to give me sight? And then the deep, theologically profound answer of the Pharisees. They answered and said unto him, Thou wast altogether born in sins, and dost thou teach us? They cast him out. He said, what are we doing listening to you anyway? Get out of here couldn't answer his argument because there is no answer and so they attacked his person. And if you're going to follow God, you need to understand that is a risk. Jesus heard that they had cast him out and when he found him, he said unto him, Dost thou believe on the Son of God? He answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I might believe on? It? And Jesus said to him, Thou hast both seen him and it is he that talketh with thee. And he said, Lord, I believe. Work God began, and here this man trusted Christ. And Jesus said, for "It for judgment I am come into this world. They which see not might see, and they which see might be made blind." It's important. Jesus said, "I've come to make things crystal clear. That the ones that are blind will be able to see, and the ones that seem to be able to see it will be shown how blind they are." Some of the Pharisees, which were with him, heard these words and said unto him, Are we blind also? Don't ask a stupid question unless you want a stupid answer. Jesus said unto them, If you were blind, you should have no sin. But now you say, We see. Therefore, your sin remains. Jesus said, You're so blind, you don't even know that you're blind. Question for you this morning. As Jesus come and touched you, you realize you were born in sin, born in blindness, helpless, a beggar on the side of the road, but Jesus comes, Jesus passed by, and Jesus said, I heal you and I send you out. If you've never recognized your need for a Savior, you've never seen that you're blind, you say, I don't need to ask for forgiveness, I don't need God, then you are more blind than you've ever realized. But if you say, yes, Lord, I am blind, yes, Lord, I am helpless, that's when Jesus nails down and spits And he changes you to send you out because it's not an immediate new lifestyle. It's an immediate new life. And that salvation works out through you. And as you obey him, you gain the spiritual muscles to obey him more. And as you obey him in that area of your life, you gain the spiritual muscles to obey him more. So what has he sent you out to do? He has sent you out to say one thing. I don't know, but this I know, that I was blind, but now I see question is, when was the last time you told someone how to be saved? When was the last time you told someone about how Jesus died for you and about the change he made in your life? I pray earnestly that this week, every one of you finds somebody who says, have I ever told you about how I used to be? Have I ever told you about the turnaround God made? You know, for some of you, it may be the time, you know, you say, I was lost and I was doing all these different things and I was saved turned my life around. Some of you it may be, I was saved at a young age, but I got far from God. Let me tell you about what God did for me once I started following Him again, when I went to the pool called sin, when I went where He wanted me to be. Let me tell you what Jesus can do for you. If you'll see that you're blind, then you can see. I pray that each one of you goes, we've got the sewer fixed out back, so the baptistry drains really nice now. I pray that each one of you brings somebody with you next week who has either been saved or is curious now well, you say, well, I don't know about all that. Say, Why don't you come to church with me on Sunday? And then we start to see a change in our entire community from you going to the place where you have been sent. As we stand and our musicians come forward, we're going to have him, him of invitation. If you've never acknowledged before that you are blind, now's the time. If God has laid something on your heart and you haven't followed it, you haven't done what he's laid for you to do, Now is the time. Whatever it is, whatever's right, you need to come pray with me, you need to come to crown the altar, you need to make a move. Now's the time to